guys believe that God is good? He is, isn't he? Even when, now listen to this serious theological statement. Even when the OSU Cowboys don't quite pull it off. God is still good. Amen, Greg? (laughs) They barely lost. If any of you saw that game last night, it was incredible. I was proud of my boys. But I was just focusing on the goodness of God, even though that JW dropped that ball, threw that pick six. I was shouting, God, you're still good. All the time. But he is good all the time, isn't he? Regardless of our circumstances, our circumstances do not change the character of God. Our circumstances do not determine whether God is good or not. And unfortunately, many of us, many people look at circumstances and they use that to determine the kind of mood God is in today. Or how he's looking upon me. If things are going bad, car breaks down, a loved one dies, or or some tragic situation happens in my life, then God must be mad at me, or he must be upset, or he's not happy, or whatever the lies are. I started this last week, and I'm continuing today, and, and those of you who were not here last week, I would encourage you to listen to the recording or watch it on the internet, because um, I shared a great deal on one of the, on the first point, which I will not recover that, because it was too much. And then I will not get finished with today's part if I try to go over last time's part. So uh, if you go on the Internet, it's up there. You can watch it or listen to it. I shared some important things. But we're talking about the goodness of God. That believing in his goodness, even when circumstances are not. You know, and and there there comes times, and, and some of you might have said these things or at least heard these things, that let's say if you lost a loved one, tragically or to an illness um, someone says well god took him for a reason or god took her because he needed another angel in heaven or everything happens for a reason god doesn't make mistakes god has a plan you know we hear those kinds of things and the purpose of those statements i believe from the heart of the person who is saying those statements towards you their heart is to bring comfort i mean they're not trying to discourage you on purpose they're not trying to harm you on purpose their heart is to bring comfort That's why you hear those. But the point that I want to make is those things aren't true. And we have to be careful that when our heart is to bring comfort to someone who's going through a very tragic situation, we have to make care, be careful that our our words do not go against God's character or his truth. And if you don't know what to say, if you're facing someone or, or in contact with someone who has gone through a horrible situation, If you don't know what else to say, I encourage you to say this. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's all you need to say. And just let them know you're praying for them, with them, and that kind of thing. Don't try to say any theological thing or whatever. Just forget all that kind of stuff. Because a lot of times we try to say too much. And at that point in time, they don't need to hear anything, really. They just need to know that someone's there with them. Amen? But these statements that I mentioned, you know, God took them for a reason. God needed another angel. What happens, the problem with these statements is it causes us to have a, a wrong perception of God. 
And we see God as the one, as, as, and what can happen is we eventually see God as this mean monster who, at his whim and whatever, he's just going to take people out anytime he wants to. Or he's lonely in heaven, so he's going to take your little girl because he needs an angel in heaven. And see, at some point, those things may sound okay, but if you start to think on that, especially if you're the person in the tragedy. Like I shared last week of the story of the woman, uh, the pastor's wife who shared with me the story of the little girl, the four-year-old girl who snuck out of the house. Her father and brother were target practicing. She snuck out and went around behind the targets, and her father accidentally killed her. And then you go up to that lady, the mom, and you say, well, God needed another angel in heaven. That may sound comforting. It doesn't to me. But it may to some people at, the, at that moment. But as that person starts to dwell on that, they're not going to be comforted. And what will typically happen is that person, either outwardly or inwardly, they begin to push themselves away from God. They begin to wall themselves up from him. They say, I can't trust him. Because you might be thinking, okay, I have four more kids What if he gets lonely again and wants to take one of my other ones? You know what I'm saying? And so what happens is these kinds of statements and just the beliefs, people don't have to necessarily said this to you, but we somehow get these beliefs. And it gives us a wrong image and picture of God, which will cause us to push away from him instead of draw close to him. And then we will not see that God is good. And one point I've said that everything that happens is not God's will. Because you hear that, well, God has a plan or God did this for a reason. God doesn't make mistakes, which is interpreted as, well, God did this for a specific reason. Or everything that happened, everything happens for a reason. People say that all the time. I hear it on TV all the time. Well, everything happens for a reason. An interpretation of that, how that's interpreted is God does everything for a reason. Everything that happens is not God's will. Okay? If I choose the sin, that is not God's will. If I choose to get in the car drunk behind the wheel and I accidentally run over your family, that was not God's will. If I choose to have an abortion because I'm afraid and don't know what to do with the baby and I have an abortion, that is not God's will. If someone murders somebody, Jesus said in this world you will have many trials and sorrows. He said that. He didn't say, come to me, all you who will come to me, and I will deliver you from all of life's sorrows. He said, you will have. This world is full of sin. It's full of death and destruction because of man's choices, because of sin. We have a free will. So I can choose to be evil. I'm going to things that are going on in Iraq right now. People are making some evil, wicked choices. There's all kinds of things that happen. But somehow, through the sovereignty of God and the the awesomeness of God, his plan overall is still going to happen. Now, how we, we combine that or how we reconcile those events, a daughter tragically being killed and God's will being worked out, how we reconcile those, I have no idea. That's where faith comes in. When things happen and I don't understand, I don't have an understanding of how or why. But I say, God, I still trust you because I know that you are good. See, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life 
and have it abundantly. That's what Jesus said. And he said, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, I'm not going to attempt or try to explain why all these things happen. I don't understand that. None of us do. And if someone says that they understand why, they're lying. Okay? (laughs) Because we don't. But the point I want to make with you and try to encourage you with is the fact that God is good, even in the midst of horrible circumstances. And so everything that happens is not God's will. That's the first point. Everybody that dies does not die according to God's plan. There is a such thing that the Bible calls premature death. Also, if everybody dies, you know, because people say, well, it must have been his time to go. You know, when there are scriptures that, that talk about that our days are numbered and it is appointed that a man wants to die, then they face the judgment. But we have to be careful just to interpret it and just look at it at face value and say, okay, this is what it means. Because we have to interpret scripture in light of other scripture. And if when somebody died all the time, that was God's purpose and plan, then why would he tell, why would Jesus, first of all, why would Jesus raise people from the dead? If it was their time to die and he's raising them back up. God says, no, I'm kill him. Jesus says, no, you ain't. God says, no, kill him. No. And they're having this tug of war. Is that how it works between Jesus and God? They oppose each other. Jesus went about doing good. The Bible says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost. Paraphrasing. I believe it's Acts 10.38. Incredible verse. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. So we see the Trinity right there involved in incredible events. We look at the, the story, we look at the life of Jesus and we see all that he did. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Everyone who came to Jesus, he healed. There was no person, not even one, that came to him and he turned them away and they were not healed or delivered. Is that right? And the Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Exactly. Not mostly, not 98.32%. A hundred percent, you see Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus says, I only do what my Father does. I only say what he does. I am the exact representation. I used to think that God was mean in the Old Testament. Then he got happy and had a baby named Jesus, and he was happy. I did. I used to have that view. It's like, whew, I sure am God had a kid because he was mean. And I used to, in my thinking, be, you know, Jesus, yes, God, I don't know. You know, he might throw a lightning bolt at you. But when you see Jesus, you see the Father. Exactly. Amen. So he made provision for healing. Jesus went about healing everybody. He healed everyone who came to him. And sometimes he just went up to him and healed them because he wanted to. Now, there are times when he initiated the healing. Remember the woman who was bent over for 18 years? He said, should, should this daughter of Abraham suffer this way? Come here. Boom, healed her. Remember the man with the withered hand? He didn't ask to be healed. Matter of fact, he was probably terrified because he was in the synagogue and all the official leaders were looking at him in anger, like, you better not do it. You better not. And Jesus did it anyway. 
He healed them. But the point is, you know, I talked about this last week. Some, we know we pray for people. I pray for people. We pray for people. And, and we don't always see them get healed. And we get frustrated. And you know, I appreciate a brother sharing an email with me last week. I really appreciate that because it helped me to see something. I recognized that I was frustrated. You, you might have heard some frustration coming out of me last week. And I'll explain why in a few minutes. Because God helped me with that frustration in an incredible way. So the first point is, everything that happens is not God's will. Every person that dies is not necessarily dying at God's will. And the reason why it's important to understand that is so that we can better understand, appreciate, and believe in the goodness of God. Because if I think everything that happens is God's will, then I'm really going to have a problem drawn closer to him. I'm really going to have a problem with that. But in the Bible, he invites and says, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. And it's like, I don't know. If, If Lisa found out that I was torturing her children, hurting them, doing things to make them sick, I'm saying so they can build strong character, you know, overcome this adversity. And she found out I was doing that. But I'm, you know, I'm doing it for the best of these kids. What kind of a relationship are we going to have? We have a we have a frying pan about that big, <laughs> cast iron. I think me and that frying pan would have an intimate encounter. <laughs> That's what I think would happen. But see, that sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? But yet we project that kind of stuff on God. God did this for a reason. God did that for a reason. God did all this kind of stuff. And then it it causes us to have a a really negative view of him. You know, one thing I want to bring up, two things real quick. Because people say, what about Job? Let's forget about Job, okay? Next point. I'm going to just share my two thoughts on that. Because I don't like the book of Job. It's, it's tough. Amen? We must all agree with the book of Job. Because you look at it and it's kind of crazy. You know, we can blame everything on the devil and, and look, you know, the devil did all this kind of stuff. And actually the devil was the one that inflicted Job. But that story is messed up because look who initiated the whole thing. You know, Satan ended up in God's presence. And God said, hey, have you considered my son Job or or his servant or whatever? It's like, Lord, please don't tell him anything about me. (laughs) Just leave me alone. But God initiated that whole sequence. And you see the whole thing, how it plays out. It's, It's hard to understand. But my two points about that, and this is my opinion, okay? First of all, I believe that because we're under a covenant with Jesus, the covenant that he established, he's given us authority. He's given us power over sickness and all that kind of thing. I believe that God does not operate with us that way anymore. You understand that? That's my opinion. Second point is, if you say, well, I don't know about that, but Job's a good example because there is a great example. There's a lot we can learn from that whole thing. I just read a book. 
written by Howard Katz on that book, and, and I was afraid to read that book, so I was reading it like this. But I read it, and I learned a great deal out of it. But here's my other point. If people say, well, look at Job, look at, because when it comes to sickness and suffering and everything, specifically sickness, because there is suffering, there's going to be suffering. The Bible is clear on that. My premise is I don't believe God put sickness on us to teach us. We get sickness, we get sick, we don't get healed, we believe in God for healing or whatever. God can use that despite us being able to get it off of us, to train us, because he can use all things for those who love him according to his purpose. He has that amazing ability. If my child becomes tragically killed, God didn't do that so he can build his character in me, but in that situation, he can build his character in me. Do you see the difference? There's a huge difference in that. And getting back to Job, the whole thing about that is if someone says, because when it, oh, I know the point I was going to make, when it comes to sickness and people not getting healed and everything, we try to, we try to, Fix, we, our mind has to have a reason. And so what happens is we find the scriptures in the Bible that point to someone, the circumstances that look like someone didn't get healed or they stayed sick. And there are a few circumstances like that. Paul left a brother somewhere sick. People say, talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. I don't want to get into that right now. I don't believe that was sickness. I, anyway. But we, it's like we always have to find the, uh, oh, what's, the, what's it called? The, the case that, the, uh, the extreme case or the, uh, thank you, the exception. We, we're looking for the exception to help understand our circumstances. Instead of looking at what Jesus did, everybody he healed, everybody came to him was healed. We try to find the exceptions. So we can have some way to put ourselves in that exceptional case and say, okay, this is why I'm not healed. And I just want to encourage you, if you're going to use Job as an example, look at the end result of Job. He was healed. He was totally restored. Not in heaven, on earth. So if you want to use that example, that's okay. But grab a hold of the promise of God that Job was totally restored and healed on this planet. So if you're going to use this example, look at the end of Job. Amen? Okay, that's all I want to say about that. So the first thing is, is we have to understand everything that happens is not God's will. Second thing, we have to allow our perspective to change. If we are going to understand and grab and believe in the full goodness of God, our perspective has to change. It has to. If we look at things from our, our perspective, our limited perspective, life stinks, and we're going to think we got a bad rap, God is not fair, God is not just, etc., 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 etc. I want to give you an example, an illustration that I heard many years ago, and, and it really got my attention and, and brought a point home. He was using this illustration in, in the example of someone dying young or premature. He was a lady, a young uh, lady who parents lost their daughter. And he shared this illustration. He said, um, let's say if, if someone knocked on your door, you open the door, and there's a stranger standing there, and they gave you a $100 bill. Nice, crisp, brand-new $100 bill. And it's like, wow, what's this for? Just want to give it to you. 
Oh, thank you very much. They leave. You're like, wow, this is pretty cool. Next day, someone knocks on the door. You open the door, it's that same stranger. They hand you a $100 bill. Wow. Hey, thank you very much. Any particular reason why? Just want to give it to you. Third day, they do the same thing. Fourth day, they do the same thing. Fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth, fifteenth, twentieth. Twenty-fifth day, thirtieth day, they do the same thing every day. And matter of fact, you're so loving this routine that you're camped out by the door just waiting. And you get to the point that before they even knock, hey, how you doing? Thank you very much. Good to see you. Love you. God bless you. And you have all these plans like, wow, I have $3,000. Let's see, by the end of the next month, I'll have 6000 Wow, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, the next day, you're sitting there, propped in your chair, waiting for the door to open. Five minutes goes by, ten minutes goes by. It's like, wait a minute. And you look out the window, and you see the person walking past your house. They go across the street to your neighbor's house. And you're like, wait a minute. He didn't get confused, did he? And you see this person knock on the door of your neighbor across the street, and you see them hand that person a $100 bill. Like, what? And you open the door and you scream, hey, you dirty cheat, where's my $100? Isn't that interesting how a gift turns into a demand, turns into an expectation, turns into, if I don't get, wait a minute, how come, you know, you've given me, you've, you've, Treated me this way all these years. Everything is good. I've worked at this job for 20 years, and now I get laid off. I was expecting to retire from this place. God, how could you? You know, my son and my daughter only live to be 12, 15. We had plans for this young man or this young girl. And see, the point is, even when we don't understand things, And when life seems to be short, cut short or taken from an individual, do we shake our fist at God and say, God, you ripped me off? Does God owe us? Now, see, in the Bible, there are plenty of indications that God's desire and his will is for us to live long on the earth. Case in point, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. It says, children, honor and obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the first commandment with a promise. Here's the promise, that it may go well with you and you live long on the earth. That's God's desire, his will right there. Boom, long on the earth. We see situations where people don't live long on the earth for whatever reasons. But we can see God's desire. Because he's the one that set it up, the first commandment with a promise. But when it doesn't happen the way that we believe it should happen, we have to be careful that we don't look in God's face and say, you ripped me off. How could you allow this to happen to my little four-year-old girl? Our perspective has to change. You know, sometimes people say, a lot of times people say, why didn't God do anything? He could have stopped this accident. He could have stopped this thing. He could have, why didn't God do anything? 
I would like to submit to you that he did. 2,000 years ago, Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus did something incredible. Jesus said, you're going to have many sorrows and suffering and all that kind of stuff happen. But take heart, take courage. I've overcome the world. There are going to be some hardcore things, and many of you are going through them or have gone through them, and we will go through them. But he said, take heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Talking about a tragedy? Talking about a tremendous tragedy? Innocent? I mean, look at Jesus, how cool he was, how powerful, how passionate, how compassionate he was. Didn't hurt a fly, probably healed a couple. Maybe not. But innocence, pure love, put on a cross for you and I so that we can be restored to the Father and live with him forever. He did something. Now, why he didn't stop the accident, cause the driver to to be able to swerve in time, or cause the father to recognize that his daughter was behind the target and, and that kind of thing, why he didn't stop that, I don't know. I know he sent Jesus for you. He sent Jesus for us. You know, years ago, the Lord gave me an illustration. I've shared this many times. For those of you who have heard it many times, bear with me as I share it again. But it brings home a good point of, of, of eternity. If you look in front of it, you see this beautiful purple carpet. Matches my shirt. This beautiful carpet. If you see, there's little naps, little round naps. Each one of those naps, if you were to, to pull one up, probably has hundreds of fibers creating that one nap. Hundreds. You know what I was going to do this week is I was going to somewhere inconspicuously take up one of these naps and separate it into a bunch of little fibers and give everybody a piece of fiber, but I didn't have time for that. You just have to use your imagination. But anyway, if you look at one little nap, it's made up of a whole bunch of fibers. We'll say hundreds of fibers, and one little fiber represents 100 years, your lifespan. So if you can imagine one little fiber... And the sea of carpet is eternity. That one little fiber is your lifetime. So we may suffer, worst case scenario, a hundred years. But we submit to him, look how we're going to live for all this, all this other time. And see, if we don't look at life from that perspective, the Bible says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. You know, I heard a minister once say, God's will is what you would choose if you knew all the facts. So if I knew all the facts, if I saw circumstances from God's perspective, I'd be totally submitted to his will. Say, God, whatever you say, do, want, I'm all in because our perspective would be different. We see things from a temporal, short perspective, 
of comfort, convenience, my wants, my desires, all that kind of stuff. We see things from that perspective instead of an eternal perspective. And our perspective has to change. If it doesn't, we're going to be bitter, angry, resentful, frustrated. Frustrated. You know, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26... It says, for one, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, God determined when you should live and where you should live. So think about this. We all have the privilege of living in this wonderful United States. I love this country. My country, I'm a patriot, I'm all for U.S. of A. I love this country, and I'm very grateful to be in this country. But do you realize that there are some people who were born in Iraq or China, communist places where the gospel is not necessarily embraced? In other words, what's going on in Iraq right now? Christians being killed, murdered, because they're Christians. Or let's say a young man named Abraham, his family's Muslim. Someone gets to him and shares the gospel with him, and he embraces, receives the gospel, embraces Jesus and says, yes. But then he realizes, wait a minute, well, he didn't, he's not taken by surprise, he realizes that to embrace Jesus means he's got to let this Islam go and what it would probably mean to him and his family. Best case scenario, he's excommunicated. Worst case scenario, he's murdered or killed. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In good old U.S. survey, that scripture doesn't mean a lot. But in Iraq or other communist places or, or places that do not have a favorable view of the gospel, So my persecution that I suffer is if I try to tell someone about Jesus, they may look at me cross-eyed or spit at me. And I'm suffering for Jesus. Versus Abraham over here, if he lets his father know that he's a Christian, he may lose his head, literally. Or the situation, the, the, the story of a, a young lady, I heard this from a pastor, a young girl who was six years old, and I believe it's in Nicaragua. And she somehow was able to hide in the bushes. But the, I believe it's the Sandinistas. They found her family, her father, her mother, and all her siblings. And they executed them. They hung them in order of birth. All the way down to the little kids. Because they were Christians. And this little girl saw that. She witnessed it. She was hiding. They didn't see her. She witnessed that. And this girl can grow up and be totally bitter towards God and think, wait a minute, these Americans, they live this lavish lifestyle. 
and they're okay, they're going to heaven and all that, and I have to live with this? How unfair, how unjust does that sound? Sounds pretty unfair, doesn't it? But if she is able to see things from an eternal perspective, Paul says in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, the suffering, and we know Paul went through a lot. The Apostle Paul went through a lot of suffering. He says the suffering that I'm going through now or we're going through doesn't even compare to the glory that's going to be revealed to us or in us. In other words, when we're with him, this is going to pale in comparison. And Paul even said, I count everything. The man had some credentials. He says, I count everything as dung compared to knowing Jesus. He had a different perspective. Our perspective has to become that, where we see things from a larger perspective, or we're going to get totally messed up. We're going to become bitter, resentful, angry. At worst, we turn away from God totally, and at best, we go through the motions. We continue, we go to church, we do all things, but on the inside, we're done. And people from the outside really can't tell. But on the inside, you're done with God. So we can understand, we can see the importance of grabbing a hold of truth of God's true character, that he's good all the time. What about unfulfilled promises, promises that you believe God made to you? You know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16, says, All these faithful ones died without receiving what God had promised them, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed the promises of God. They agreed that they were no more than foreigners and nomads here on earth. And obviously, people who talk like that are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had meant the country they came from, they would have found a way to go back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a heavenly city for them. When you look in the book of Hebrews, it talks about, you know, we call it the hall of faith. It talks about how these people were faithful and did all this and they believed God and this kind of thing. And, and, and many of them were even persecuted and killed and martyred and ripped apart and that kind of thing. And it says some of them were given promises by God, but they didn't receive the promise. They didn't live long enough to receive the, the natural promise or receive it. But they looked at it from afar. And see, some of us have had promises that God has given or told us that have not happened. It has been a long time. And see, last week when I was frustrated, when, I was, when the frustration was coming out, I didn't realize I was frustrated until after the fact. But part of it was because there are some promises that I believe God has given me, told me, some things that I believe are going to happen. And I haven't seen the fulfillment of those things yet. On the contrary, there seems to be a lot of things happening against some of those promises. And my frustration was coming from the point, because I believe God says to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm laying hands on the sick, and I'm not seeing 
the cancer, people get healed, get healed. And I don't understand why. And here's where the frustration came in. I have un, without realizing I put myself in a posture of God. I cannot move forward aggressively until I understand why. Until I understand why everybody's not getting healed. And so it's like I made a condition to him. Not consciously, but subconsciously. I cannot move forward aggressively, obediently like you want me to, unless I understand. So you need to help me understand. And until I understand, I'm standing right here. And what did that look like? It looked like passivity. It looked like when I see people or know of needs, praying for people, they oh, so-and-so is sick that, you know, they've just been diagnosed with cancer, whatever. Oh, I'll be praying for them. Whereas before, as soon as I heard somebody diagnosed with cancer, where are they staying right now? Are they in the hospital or are they at home? And I was there. Not so much so recently. But because I do understand and I firmly believe in the love of God, I allowed him, when I realized that frustration, I said, God, I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do with this. He says, I do. Oh, really? You know what to do with this frustration? Let's talk about it. And basically what he did is he changed my perspective. Instead of seeing it from my perspective, which is very limited, I just said, God, I trust you. And I remember one time, and I forgot about this, years ago, there are things that I believe God has told me that he wants to do through me. There have been prophetic words and all this kind of stuff. You know, all, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And, and many of us have had those. And I believe the Holy Spirit asked me this question. And I didn't answer him right away. He said, the promises that I've spoken to you, are you willing to let that fulfillment come through somebody else? that I encourage you to minister to instead of, or does it have to come through you? In other words, do I have to own this and say, no, it has to come through me like you said. But what if God says, I want you to mentor this, this young man. I just want you to love on and just pour into him. And what if the promise that God has put in my heart is actually going to be fulfilled through this other individual? Am I okay with that? That's what he asked me. I said, can you ask me another question? And I remember wrestling with that. Because what I realized that happened is, it, when God gives us a promise, we need to do what like Mary did. Lord, be it unto you as you say. However you say, however it needs to be fulfilled, you do it. But what happens And I believe what happened to me is I grabbed those promises. I mean, I agreed with them. I grabbed them. And I began to own them. And then they began to become idols in my life. It's like, get your hands. This is my promise. Get your hands off my promise. Or the audacity to think that God would give my promise to somebody else or fulfill it through somebody else. Are you kidding me? That's not fair. Am I about his kingdom or my kingdom? And I think that was kind of the bottom line of that question. Am I willing to do whatever it takes, whatever I can do, 
my participation in seeing his fulfillment of that promise, even if it means whether it's through my sons or someone who's not even related to me, can I still be as passionate? If I don't make that decision, I'm going to live in frustration. And I'm not going to be content until I see the fulfillment of that promise or I just give up on the promise altogether. Say, forget that. And neither one of those places is where God wants us to be. God is good, by the way. So number one, we must recognize that everything that happens is not God's will. Number two, our perspective perspective has to change. We have to grab his perspective. An eternal perspective. When I, when I realize and focus on what Jesus has done, how many times has someone said to you, or, or you might have heard this, you're going through a crummy day. I mean, we're, not talk, we're talking beyond bad hair day, okay? We're talking crummy, bad, whatever. And, in, and you're, you're having a hard time being thankful for anything because everything just looks bad. And then someone says, well, at least you can thank God you're going to heaven, or you, at least you're saved, you have, you're, you're saved. Right. And that doesn't encourage you at all. But, now, don't raise your hand, but anybody ever felt kind of a frustration, like you just want to backhand somebody when they say something like that? See, what that means, because I have, I've been there. What that means is my perspective is totally earthly natural because if i just for a second begin to realize what that means salvation what that really means then if i let that get a hold of me i'm going to be dancing in the streets okay number three we must draw closer to him apart from him we can do nothing that's what jesus said apart from him i can do nothing And you have to remember something. The reason why this is important, this message is important to you because, not only because of your relationship with God and whether you have walled yourself off from him or you draw close to him, but also because of the fact that you are a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put your hand on your heart. Now, this is for those of you who are born again, okay? If you're not born again yet, doesn't count for you talk to me afterwards and we'll make it count say i am i forgot what i was gonna tell you to say say (laughs) so that was when you talk too much say i am a full-time minister of the gospel of jesus christ i am a minister of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Some of you needed a couple of times to say that word. So, I'd... You are a full-time minister of the gospel. You are not going to be someday. You are a full-time minister of the gospel. If you do not walk in that ministry of reconciliation, then who is? If the enemy cannot get you to live in gross sin, 
to totally neutralize you so that you won't minister the gospel, then he will neutralize you by getting you to believe lies about him. Because if you believe lies about God, then how in the world are you going to be passionate about sharing and trying to see other people reconciled to him who you're not really, who you're having issues with? You hear what I'm saying? If I believe this lie, then I'm not going to really care about trying to draw people to him. But when I understand the goodness of God, when I'm reminded of that, it's like, oh, God, you are so good. Even though I'm going through this tragedy. Then you're going to be able to effectively minister to people because we are all called to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I met with a friend this week and I heard this interesting story. He told me, and I can't remember if it was something he heard about or or he knew the people. I can't remember. But there was a family who were called. They were going to be missionaries in Russia. And the very day that they were about to, they were packing up and they were going to be leaving for Russia. Their 18-month-old baby ran into the street and got hit by a car. Killed. The day they were going to Russia to share the gospel, baby was killed. That's horrible. Now, many people would say, well, done. Obviously, God doesn't intend for us to continue to go to Russia. They prayed and said, what do we do? I mean, can you imagine the turmoil? Lord, what do we do? Are we still supposed to go? I don't know the time frame and all this, but they felt like the Lord still wanted them to go. And they went. Remember how God can work things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Through the tragedy, when they begin to share and preach, and they said that our, we are here out of tragedy. Our 18-month-old was killed the day. Well, I can't remember the time frame again. So before we were on our way here, our, our baby was killed. They had thousands come to Christ. Because in that country, that's all those people knew was So these people were willing to trust him anyway and allow him to use them to bring hope and peace to all these people who that's all they knew was tragedy. And they could relate to this message of these Americans who understood them. And they said yes to their God. Said yes. That's why this message is important. Because if we believe in the lies, we will allow ourselves to be neutralized. And there are people out there, outside this beautiful church, who have no intentions of coming here or any other church. Who have no intentions of coming to God. That's why Jesus said, go. You go out to them. Because he also said that the harvest is ripe. Because of where I've allowed myself 
to be because of frustration, which I'm not anymore. But because of where I've allowed myself over the years, and this isn't something that happens overnight, obviously. happens over a period of time. My passion for people kind of, you know, kind of flutter up and down. And I found myself, those of you who've known me for a long time, used to know I used to make excuses or find excuses just to go be with people, pray for them, pray with them. I used to just, honey, you need anything from Walmart? No, I'm going anyway. Don't you need some bread? No, are you sure? Go to Walmart anyway. Grab a shopping cart, put a loaf of bread in it because I was undercover. I, had to, I didn't want to just walk around because there are security cameras. And see, if the security cameras, they notice this guy just walking all over the store, they're going to come, you know, got to be wise. But if you got a shopping cart with a loaf of bread in it, guess what? I'm a customer. But I used to, that used to be my passion, people, sharing the gospel, just loving on people. But for the last couple of years, what I've noticed is I can go in and out of Walmart, in and out of Conoco, in and out of wherever, and not even think of anybody. Not too long ago, in my prayer time, I was like, God, I just want to love on people for you. I want to allow you. I want people to have an encounter with you through me. That was my prayer. The end of the night when I was going to bed, I realized I didn't say nothing to anybody. Didn't even think about it all day. And I realized where my mindset was. Totally self-absorbed. My goodness, what has happened to me? I'm not content with that condition. The Lord help me. And so what I do is I, one, recognize why I've allowed myself to get shut down. And I draw close to him, and he's so good. He is so good. And then his love just begins to pour into me again, and I can't help, but i got to share this with somebody. And so I did something the other day, kind of things I do to myself just to get me moving. I did something to help me. I'm reconditioning myself again. It's like if you're going to train to fight, you have to condition, you have to train. So I did so. I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do to retrain myself to become people conscious again because I've gotten so self-absorbed. So I thought of a phrase. And I began just to approach people. My intent wasn't to lead them to Christ. My intent was just to throw a love bomb at them and to help me to be focused on them. That was it. So I remember going to the Conoco the other day. And I got change. And I said, hey, I have a question for you, this, this young man who helped me. I said, I have a question for you. And of course, he says, yeah. You know, very attentive. I got his attention. Said, Has anybody told you yet today? How much Jesus loves you and he's passionate about you? I might as well just slap him. He looked at me. It was probably about two seconds where there was just silence and just staring. <laughs> it's almost embarrassing. But, but here's what was interesting. He stood and looked at me. He was totally, obviously shocked by what I said. Wasn't expecting it at all. All of a sudden his face lit up smile and he said thank you have a great day I mean his whole countenance just lifted I thought hmm that's pretty interesting and so later on um, I had a staff meeting well I don't know if it's the same day but sometime this week I had a staff meeting and and so we're getting our coffee and I was up paying for the coffee 
And the lady who took care of my car, you know, um, I said, I have a question for you. That same thing. Has anybody told you yet today that Jesus loves you and he's just crazy about you? And she just looked, same thing, just stared at me and smiled and said, well, thank you. And I remember uh, I uh, called to pay my internet bill over the phone. Customer service guy answered. Hello, may I help you? Yes, I want to pay my bill over the phone. Got my debit card on file, blah, blah, blah. And he took care of that. He says, is there anything else I can help you with? And I said, yes, I have a question for you. He said, sure. See, customer service. So I have his full attention. Sir, how may I help you? And I said, has anybody told you yet today? And it was so funny because he said, thank you. I mean, yelling at me. Thank you so much. I've had a rough day so far. It was only like 10 o'clock in the morning. And then he said, he said, have a nice day. No, have a nice, have a great vacation. I said, thank you, you too. And I remember this young lady, uh, remember Corn Dog Day at Sonic the other day? Anybody celebrate Corn Dog Day? I told you God is good. 50 cent corn dogs at Sonic, you missed it, okay? The last thing, this uh, girl brought us our, our corn dogs and our carbonated drinks. And um, I said, hey, is there ketchup and mustard in the bag? She goes, no, but I'll get you some. So she went back, got us some, gave her a tip. And then I said, um, so I have a question for you. And you know what the question was. It was so funny. I asked her, I said, has anybody told you yet today? And I told her, asked her that question. And she just looked at me. And then this big old smile came on her face. And she said, thank you so much. And I said, I just want you to know that. And then she left. I didn't lead her to the Lord. I didn't ask her if she knew Jesus, any of that. But here's what I was reminded of. See, that was 100%, and I'm not done yet. That was 100% effective, receptive rate, where people were favorable to that. Because not everybody is going to be favorable to you mentioning Jesus. And I specifically mentioned Jesus, not God. And you can probably figure out why. But here's what I was reminded of. Jesus said, the harvest is ripe. People want him. When I've been out witnessing and sharing with people, we do treasure hunts and all this kind of stuff. I would say that we have about an 85 to 90% receptive rate. And what I mean by that, not people getting saved, but people, when you say, hey, we're on a treasure hunt, we believe you're our treasure, or can I tell you about Jesus or whatever? And they said, sure, or they listen. About 85 to 90% of the people listen. Maybe 10% say, I don't want any part of that. So, in closing, why is this important? Because you are a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't minister reconciliation, if you don't love people, if you don't allow God to love people through you, then who's going to? Are you waiting for somebody else to do it? Jesus called you into full-time service. But if you're afraid of God or you think God is wicked, evil, mean, or whatever, then guess what? You're not going to be too excited about telling somebody else about this wicked, evil God that you serve. Are you? So we need to allow him to help heal, deal with the misconceptions that we have. Some of us have experienced, tra- experienced tragedy a long time ago, and you're still carrying that hurt, that woundedness. So you've walled yourself off. 
I mean, God can have a little peak, maybe on Sunday from 10 to 12. That's it. I want to ask the ministry team to come up. Don't all move at the same time, but come on up. And what I want to encourage you with, um, let's all stand together. Here's my encouragement to you. Heart of God towards you. He knows where you are, whether you tell him or not. He cares where you are. And if you're in a place where you've kind of stepped back or fallen back or whatever, what I just want to ask you to do and allow you to do it is just give time for him, help us just to move back towards him. Not expecting him to fix us, although he can do that if he wants. It can be instantaneous. But a lot of it has to do with the stronghold that has been building in your life for a long time. He wants to tear that down. So if you'd close your eyes with me right now, and we're just going to invite Holy Spirit. See, the end result in this whole thing is God wants you to draw closer to him. He wants you closer to him. He says if you draw close to him, then guess what he's going to do? His footsteps towards you are bigger than your footsteps towards him. He's in love with you. He's crazy about you. If you want to know how valuable you are, just look at Jesus. Because that's who was given in your place. How valuable you are. He wants you closer. The Holy Spirit just say this in your heart, not out this in your heart. Holy Spirit, I give you permission right now to search my heart. Because there may be even things that, that we're, you're not even aware of. Holy Spirit, if there's anything in my heart that I've allowed to cause me to be offended at you or to push away from you or to blame you. And remember, we don't understand why all these things happen. I gave some explanations. That doesn't cover everything. There's all kinds of interesting, crazy things that happen that we don't know why. But the point is not understanding why, but the point is I trust God because he's good. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to help you get to the place to where you can trust him again, where you can fully give your heart to him again. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for what you're doing because you love us and there are people out there that you want us to reach. People's lives out there will be changed because of our love relationship with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. We bless you in Jesus' name. Now, this is just the beginning. And as, the, as throughout the day, throughout the week, as, as the Holy Spirit is bringing things to your heart, let him, let him have it. He may bring up a memory of something you forgot all about. He may be bringing it up so, he can, so you can allow him to have it. Say, Lord, I submit this to you. This situation that happened, I, I submit it to you, and I allow you to, to help me to work in my heart.
So be conscious of that this week and be open to that. And if you would like, if, if there are those of you here who would like someone to pray with you, stand with you. We have these people up here who just want to love on you, encourage you, and stand with you. I just want to invite you. And as I dismiss in prayer, I want to invite you to come up. Just let the Holy Spirit love on you through them. So, Father, again, we thank you for your goodness. You are so incredible. You are so incredible. We submit our promises to you. We say, Lord, you have your way. You do it how you want. We just choose to submit to you and trust you and walk and do, walk in the light that you've given us. And we're going to trust you with the results. And Father, I just speak your blessing on every person in this place. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.